Hey everybody, it's Mark Thompson and this is the Chief Executive Podcast. I've been so honored to have the privilege of working with CEOs and C-level executives on their way to transforming their industries and businesses. And Kathleen Winters is an example of a world-class board member, CFO, and advisor to global companies. She's worked at Honeywell and ADP. She's been able to lead some of the transformation at American Express. And I just want to share with you her insights into how to be a world-class CFO, how to think about your development, how to think about being a leader in this very new world of uncertainty, ambiguity, and unprecedented opportunities. Enjoy this podcast with Kathleen. Hello, everybody. I'm Mark Thompson. I'm so delighted to have with me Kathleen Winters. She is a world-class CFO who has now been having a contribution, I think, to so many different aspects of the evolution of this function, and also the kind of person who now might get tapped for many other types of roles in an organization because of her management, her leadership, and her strategic thinking about the function. All of us here are in the C-suite, and Kathleen, to me, is a mentor, a friend, and most importantly, someone who I think has continued to take the steps that are necessary to really help develop people in their leadership roles. Now, I don't think we've ever had a time in our history when we've had more pressure, more conviction, more need for a CFO who's able to wear a lot of hats. So thank you for being with us, Kathleen. I appreciate you taking the time with us today. Thanks for having me here today, Mark. It's great to join you. And you know, I have to acknowledge your mentorship and your coaching to me over the past few years has just been wonderful. So I'm happy to join today and have a discussion. Well, thank you for that. I'm uh, always really enormously impressed at the fact that the CFO function is so dynamic now. There's so much to capture with the role. I don't think there's ever been the type of statesmanship necessary or the finance expertise or the regulatory sensitivities, the, the, the sense of being able to direction for the company and actually strategic input. Could you talk about how you handle that basic diversity of inputs and, and functional expertise? Sure. Well, you absolutely captured it when you said, you know, the role is, you know, dynamic and there's so much to think about these days. There always has been. And I've always thought about the role as, you know, a pretty challenging role in that you need to be both strategic and really detail oriented at the same time. So you need to be across that whole spectrum. And certainly these days, you know, we've seen that a lot when you think about what the whole world has gone through with the global pandemic, a global health crisis over the last, you know, year and a half, almost two years now, um, things going on in the financial markets, the economic fallout from that global health crisis, the impact on the labor market and what it means for organizations in terms of attracting labor and talent and um, the financial markets and things going on, as you mentioned, from a regulatory standpoint and with cryptocurrency. And there's just a lot for CFOs and C-suite executives to be thinking about all the time. You know, when I think about, wow, there's a lot to worry about all the time. And people often ask me, what are the things you worry about most? It's kind of a long list, right? But um, the way I kind of keep my sanity, if you will, in terms of what to worry about is always keeping in mind the stakeholders, right? Who are the stakeholders for a CFO or other C-suite executive? And of course, as a CFO, you'd expect me to say, oh, the investors are my stakeholders. Well, sure, they're a really important category of stakeholder. 
But I think it's critical that you don't stop there when you think about who are your stakeholders, right? Because there are a lot of other stakeholders. Um, for sure, the investors, but there are also obviously your clients and customers, certainly stakeholders. You've got to be able to continue to operate and function in a dynamic and challenging environment. And we've certainly seen that the last two years um, to serve your clients and customers. Um, and then you've got other business partners as well, right? It's not just clients and customers, but it's your suppliers and vendors, critical business partners, right? The best longest lasting relationships are those where all parties are benefiting, right? And having a relationship where your suppliers are profitable and benefiting is just going to give a healthy, long-lasting relationship that, that is just going to be productive for everyone, if you will. Other partners, go to market partners, right? Let's think about in a software business, right? You know, you often have go-to-market partners whereby you've got the software provider, system integrators, et cetera. So you could be going to market with... Um, entities that you don't own or don't have an ownership stake in and you want that to be really, really critical. So certainly that's another category of partner and stakeholder. Um, also importantly, when you think about the CFO and you say, who are my partners as stakeholders? Certainly the CEO and the board and the audit committee, very, very critical partners. Let's not forget employees and colleagues as your critical stakeholders. And the communities in which you operate, right? In today's world, you know, certainly not only thinking about financial returns for your investors, but ESG considerations, the community that you operate in, how are you impacting that community? Are you impacting it positively or are you just neutral, right? And these days, if you're just neutral, guess what? That's not enough. That's not enough. And then I would say lastly, there's one really important um, stakeholder or stakeholder group that it's easy to leave off the list sometimes. And this may sound, you know, not what you'd expect someone in the C-suite to say or a CFO to say, but I'd say that last stakeholder is self and family, right? If you're not taking care of yourself and your health and your well-being, that's just not going to be great for you and your family. And then it's not going to be great for any of the rest of your stakeholders. So it's a long, long list of stakeholders to think about. But honestly, when I think about all the different, the dynamic things happening and the things that worry you, let's keep in mind the stakeholders and then you'll be able to prioritize the things that worry you. Well, I think that is a, a brilliant way of considering all those audiences, all of those, as I often describe them now, it's in a sense, the CEO, the CFO, other key C-suite actors now have to be able to speak so many languages because what I feel you saying is that you're not only aware of those partners, you speak their language. They have their own rhetoric, their own narrative, their own hopes and dreams and, and aspirations, and you have to win them all, uh, the team right up to the CEO. And, and being that partner with the CEO is, is now unique as well because she or he also has a set of responsibilities that have shifted and broadened. And frankly, now relying on a table of subject matter experts who are also great managers who hopefully exceed her or his capacity in any of those one functions because they often grow up through the organization like yourself and then they need to rely on people like you who are better than they are hopefully at, at that particular function. 
Could you talk about that relationship uh, and, and how it's been shifting, I think, among many types of large organizations with whom you've uh, had to partner with a CEO? Sure. Um, yeah, it's really, in my mind, it's such a critical relationship. The CEO, CFO relationship, if it's a, you know, a strong and productive and complementary relationship, that can just be so, so powerful and valuable to an organization. You know, I kind of think about it in terms of um, there are different things that an organization needs at different points of time in their journey, if you will. And, you know, so you think about, you know, CEO and CFO relationship and what kind of CFO an organization might need. Well, there's different kinds of CFO, right? Um, I'll mention a few and, you know, some might not agree with the, this categorization or set of examples, but here's a few that come to mind for me, right? There's your deal CFO, right? The CFO that, you know, you know might be right for an organization that really needs some portfolio reassessment, if you will, right? Whether it's divestiture of non-core activities or entities or um, acquisitions to really, you know, turbocharge geographic growth or growth in a, in a new market. Um, so that kind of deal CFO that can see that, you know, the strategy and the acceleration of that strategy via portfolio um, assessment and realignment. So you got your deal CFO. And then maybe you have your, I'll call it a salesperson CFO. And you could be a salesperson for um, different audiences, right? Maybe the company at a particular point in their uh, journey um, has some challenges around communication with Wall Street, with analysts and investors, right? So you need that salesperson of the company, right? Sell that company to the investors. Here's what the you know, the TSR proposition is for the investors, right? So you could be a salesperson from that point of view, or maybe the company and the CEO is really looking for a salesperson for internal purposes. Maybe there's a big initiative that the organization needs to take on a big, meaningful transformation, whether it's from a product development standpoint or some other standpoint, but you really need to get the leadership, the management, the troops of the organization behind it, right? So you could need an internal salesperson. And then, you know, not to be forgotten, I'm, and I kind of love this because this is a, a, a piece of the job that I have always really enjoyed, the operational CFO, right? The CFO that can dig into the profitability, not only challenges, but opportunities, right? And that can look at how a company operates and think about innovation and innovation is not only innovation in product, but innovation in everything you do. Innovation in terms of new products, but new markets, new geographies, um, new business models, new partners, right? New ways of working. I mean, certainly we're all going through that these days with post-pandemic, new normal, what is it? Let's try to figure it out. Well, you know, I think the organizations that are gonna figure out how to, um, you know, leverage the good and the learnings that we experienced during the pandemic and not revert fully back to the way we were before. Um, those organizations are, I think, are going to really find some opportunities and advantages uh, in terms of cost and profitability, but more importantly, I think, in terms of talent attraction and mm -hmm. talent retention. 
So, you know, you've got that operational type of CFO. Great if you get all those things, but certainly I think considering, you know, what does the organization need at this point in the journey, right? And then as we touched on earlier, certainly, you know, somebody who can operate in a dynamic environment and be strategic and detailed and somebody who really is focused on talent development. We haven't talked a whole lot about talent development yet, Mark, but in my mind, that's such, such a critical part of C-suite executive jobs to think about how do you build the appropriate team for the appropriate time and, and, and the challenges that the organization is facing? And how do you build that team to be dynamic? And how do you build that team such that it can grow over time and grow with the company and lead the company? So there's just so much there to explore and talk about from a talent development standpoint, but I think that's just you know really, really a critical um, part of C-suite executive jobs. And then, you know, we I think you touched on it. You said, you know, something that, you know, a relationship where it's complementary, right, is really, really important and complementary, but also I'll go one step further. Complementary CFOs, though, they need to be able to tell the truth. You know, sometimes you, you need to be the chief reality officer, right? And CEOs need to want to hear that truth, right? <laughs> hear that truth and have that truth told to the management team, right? So being able to function in that chief reality, chief truth teller role is um, just critical these days. So there you go. I love the, the retasking of the CRO function being for chief reality officer because it is often so easy to cast a CFO, especially when an organization's never perhaps had a professional public company CFO before, cast her in the role of sheriff. Uh, and. Uh, that role might end up being the one where there needs to be changes made and, and structures put in place to make everyone safe. And at the same time, she's a strategist and she's developing people and, and building out the team and bringing the right talent. I love the way you frame this, the right people for the right time with those skill sets so they can lean in. That's true for you. And it's true for all the people you've brought to the table and all places that you've been leading the function. And, and frankly, Kathleen, you sound like a CEO. And those functions then being those critical functions to, we've got to ignite the workforce. We've got to be able to bring in all the right talent at the right time. And we have to have capital markets support or we don't have permission to come back next quarter. So that sense of operating responsibility and engagement of the employees, I think is, is world-class. That's the way you're framing it. And it seems to me that would also make for a great relationship with the board and an audit committee today. How has that changed for you? And, and what are you seeing there that would be instructed to the rest of us who might be stepping into the, the role of having to interact more with the board? And many of the C-suite candidates are being socialized or being vetted by starting to meet boards and audit committees. So what's, what's your advice there? Yeah, so, um, you know, I've worked with a lot of boards and audit committees over the years, and there's nothing better, in my opinion, than having a really strong, diverse, and I say diverse in terms of diversity of thought and experience, a really strong, diverse, and engaged board. There's nothing better than that as a C-suite executive to be able to leverage that and, you know, um, use that board and um you know it doesn't just happen that that board is 
you know, highly effective and highly productive. It certainly depends on, you know, the members that you have, but the management of the company has a role to play here in enabling the board and helping the board be as productive and engaged as they can be, right? And it comes down to, in my mind, I call it the two T's, trust and transparency. The management team, the C-suite, right, needs to create that trust and transparency with the board. It's This is a partnership here. This is a two-way thing, right? You can't just kind of go in and say, oh, here's the information we've been showing for the last 20 years, so let's keep showing it that way. What's the pertinent information to put in front of the board so that we can enable them to do their job, right? And their job is to provide the guidance and the coaching, the oversight, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's work on the part of the CEO and the CFO to enable that, to make that happen. And you absolutely want to do that. I have seen where you've got that highly engaged board and where the CEO and the CFO are um, embracing that engagement. I have seen so much good productivity happen. So, you know, I think about it as, you know, the company's paying board director fees. I'm going to get my money's worth, right? <laughs> I'm going to get my money's worth from that board. I want them working hard. I want them doing that oversight and that governance and challenging me and asking me questions and making me think about things in a different way. I don't want to check the box discussion. I want that, that challenge. Wait, wait, wait. I don't want too much input. I mean, I've seen so many senior executives and CEOs, CFOs and others saying, my goodness, I, I don't want them adding too much value. I already have so much complexity and so much incoming. And, and sometimes they'll even suggest that perhaps they haven't had enough time to read the deck. And so they'll come in hot and low, <laughs> very opinionated with great experiences, by the way, not that they're wrong. It may just not see the whole picture and, and they're not actually anxious to get that feedback. So it, it's, it's refreshing to hear you say, well, wait a minute, time out, it's the other way around. I, let's, let's get 120% of all the inputs yeah, and energy and experience. It's certainly a lot easier and tempting you know, <laughs> to think about you know, a meeting where it's like, oh, I didn't get any questions, that meeting went great. No, that meaning didn't go great. That was terrible because you didn't get the value that you want, right? It's harder to have those meetings where you get questioned, you get challenged, you're, you're forced to think about things in a different way. Oh, well, you know, did you think about it from this angle? Whether it's like, you know, taking on new levels of debt and, you know, rethinking about the company's balance sheet or the returns on a particular acquisition or, you know, what you do with, I don't know, certain, um, you know, uh, benefits, benefit plans that are made available to an organization, right? There's like a million things that um, you can really leverage the committees of a board um, on. And, you know, like I said, I'm always going to want to get my money's worth, no matter what, you know, <laughs> relationship we're talking about. And certainly from a board audit committee perspective, I want to get my money's worth. I'm going to expect that board to be engaged, expect to challenge, expect questions, expect shared experiences. And like I said, it's not all on the board and the audit committee and the other committees. It's on the CEO and the CFO to enable that and to foster that environment. I, I love that sense of openness and engagement and the role of that committee. Each of the committees now has continued to shift and the nature of the people on those 
um, in those governance relationships have shifted as well. And they're starting to take more and more participation, I think, in helping select new leadership as they come. And often it can be a, because of so much to do and be because of some reluctance around the complexities or getting too many inputs, they aren't really familiar with all the internal candidates in organizations before they make the choice of helping advance or support a candidate for the C-suite or even for the CEO. They're, they're not around those people often enough. Maybe one dinner isn't, isn't enough. You've made the point in the past about making sure that you, your team and other leaders in the organizations are having time with the board so that they can evaluate and, and build a, a deeper partnership. Isn't that right? Yes, um, you know, and that's that's something that you have to work on over time. As you said, it doesn't happen in one dinner or one lunch or you know one meeting. You know, it's again, I'm going to use the word journey, and some people don't like that word, but you know, it's a process. It's a journey, right? To give people that set of experiences and exposure to whether it's the board or you know management in a company. Um, I mean, this whole space of talent development is one that, you know, it's maybe one of the softer parts of being a CFO, but quite frankly, it's one of the most, I've found the most rewarding parts of the job. I've always just gravitated to and love doing the talent development side of it. And I don't even think about doing it, to tell you the truth. I just kind of have done it over the years. And maybe it's because of the way I, you know, grew up in a professionally grew up in a client service environment where I was leading teams at a very early stage in my career. Two years out of college, I'm leading teams and managing people. And so it was just always part of how I thought about work. You know, I don't know if I attribute to that or something else. Love that aspect of um, that aspect of the job in terms of talent development. And, you know, I think about it and I talk to my teams about it and my peers about it as it's on the leader of an organization, but it's on the individuals in the organization as well. And you've got to create, again, that partnership between the two. And, um, you know, how do you do that? How do you create that partnership? I have done it by talking about, um, you know, a way to think about owning your own talent development, personally, your talent development is think about your, your kind of path and think about that ownership as, you know, you wanna have a vision of what you want it to be. You take ownership of it by creating a roadmap for it. And then you take ownership of delivery. And I'll talk about each one of those pieces um, and how I've kind of articulated that to my um, talent and my teams over the years. Right. Let's start with the vision, right, of your uh, career, if you will, right, your path, your journey, right. You've got to have a vision and say, where do I want to be, right? And sometimes it's hard to say where you want to be ten years from now. I have no idea where I want to be ten years from now, <laughs> but at least let's have a hypothesis, okay? And then if you have a a hypothesis of where you want to be long term, you can then say, well, what are the short term steps I want to take? to get there. And thus you're taking ownership of building your roadmap to get there. And building that roadmap means not just kind of plotting it out. And by the way, it doesn't always happen the way you plot it out. In fact, often it doesn't. So the ability to be kind of, you know, agile and adaptable 
you know, even though you may have, have a roadmap is critical, but having ownership for going down that roadmap and that path, right? And saying, here's my short-term steps. And those steps are not always steps, of a, steps up a ladder. Those steps are sometimes puzzle pieces in a puzzle that you want to put together. But pursuing it relentlessly, you've got to be relentless and you've got to be resilient because there are some things that will go well and some things that won't go well, won't go well. So, you know, develop that vision, then develop the roadmap and have ownership for that roadmap and execution of that roadmap. And in doing so, you've got to be resilient, you've got to be adaptable, um, but you've got to be relentless. You absolutely have to be relentless. And then how do you do it well when you execute? This is where it goes back to, you know, this conversation about stakeholders. You've got to know who are your stakeholders and you've got to know, okay, how do I deliver high quality, impactful results to my stakeholders? Not just high quality results, but high quality, impactful results. Because, you know, I could do the most beautiful analysis with rows and columns and a tableau on top and nice picture on top of it. But if it doesn't matter to your stakeholders, well, then who cares, right? That's not impactful and that's not going to get you anywhere. So that's kind of like my story. And I have this beautiful little picture that I'll share with you someday, Mark, of kind of, um, you know, owning your career and how you help your talent own their own career, right? Because again, talent development is not on the leader. It's on the leader and the person as partners. And that's kind of how I articulate to my teams how you own that and how you make things happen over time. That's a, a, a great way to think about the journey, both for the boss as well as the teammate. Uh, and when I think about leadership development and I reflect on the person you just described, the young woman two years out of college already being handed the keys and asked to drive and, and manage. What other dimensions of that journey, if you look back on her career, uh, what does she wish she knew? Uh, what advice would you give her now if you were able to look down from the benefit of all this experience at the steps that you first took in that new role? Well, um, it's, you know, somewhat the things that I already mentioned in terms of kind of understanding your stakeholders. You know, I probably early on in my career, I probably didn't do enough of thinking about, okay, stakeholders and trying to put myself in their mind and what's impactful and important to them, right? So just that, you know, constant focus on stakeholders and stakeholders needs and expectations and requirements, if you will. Um, but the other thing I would say is certainly, you know, and this is something that I've kind of, um, you know, maybe learned or I not learned, but I'd say cultivated over time is empathy, right? And empathy for your team in terms of, you know, just understanding um, where they are and what motivates them, right? Because if, if your job as a leader is, you know, hey, I want to, you know, um, build a high performing team. Well, okay, I've got to have the right capabilities, the right people in the right jobs, but I've also, I need to know how to help them be the best them, <laughs> if you will, right? Um, you know, it's not just, oh, this is a really talented person. That person would be great here, but how do you foster and enable them to be their best? 
And so if you can tap into what motivates people, and I think I've learned for myself, I can do that if I really take the time to understand and have understanding for them and their situation. And what are they a person that's motivated financially? Are they a person that's motivated by personal achievement? Are they a person that is motivated by being a member of a team and feeling like they're a member of a team? And quite frankly, I, I have found that's where a lot of the magic happens. If you can, as a leader, figure out how to let people just feel being an important member of the team and having them know that their contributions matter and that their contributions are valued. I have found like, oh, such capabilities get unleashed. It's just enjoyable. When I think back over my years that I've worked, the times where I have really felt like, wow, I'm an important part of this team and, and and it's valued. That is the time when it's been most enjoyable for me. And when it's most enjoyable, wow, when people are enjoying what they're doing, that's when they're really giving their all and being creative and delivering results. And, you know, like I said, that's where the magic happens for me. Well, you're the, just the kind of leader that I think we'd all love to work for. Someone who cares about the capacity for the organization to be the world's best at what it does and then to feel so personally engaged that, you know, I, I wanna do that extra project. I, I wanna step in and it ends up being personal. This relationship we, we have with our, our leaders ends up being something that calls us when the extra hours are needed and, and when the extra effort is needed and, and when we have to double down and, and re-engage. Re so thanks for the privilege of having the opportunity to work with you, Kathleen. And thank you for sharing when, this journey that we're all on. It's a never ending journey and one in which it's been so impressive to see you always take on that next challenge, that the next group of employees, that next group of uh, strategies that you're trying to implement, really truly being the operator that you are. So, so thanks again for your time today and, and look forward to being able to invite you back on more of these discussions uh, at the C-level. We so appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mark. Enjoyed the conversation today. Thanks for listening to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson, and please don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.